Praise the Lord. Good to see everyone today. Amen. We are gathered together, entering into the presence of Almighty God. Amen. Where He is, there is liberty. That doesn't just mean liberty to worship. That means liberty. Freedom from worry and stress. Freedom from cares and concerns. Freedom from addictions and bondages. Freedom to live in accordance with His precepts and judgments and commandments. Freedom to serve Him in the manner that He wants us to. Amen. What an awesome opportunity we have today. Praise God. Let's all stand. Uh, Brother Shepherd has uh, given me a book of prayer requests here. <laughs> I'm not going to list all the names because we are online, but uh, just know that there are a lot of needs for healing, uh, ministry of various kinds. Amen. Uh, some in our congregation, some not. But uh, God knows each need. And I wonder if we can bind together in faith believing for these needs and for the needs of those represented here today. Uh, for what God is desiring to do in our service here uh, this morning. Amen. Let's call out to Him. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're wondrous. You're glorious. You're mighty. You are almighty. There is nothing that You cannot do. When we bring a need to You, we bring a need to the Almighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, who has all power, who has all authority, who knows the end from the beginning, who changes times and seasons, Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We bring these needs of healing, these needs of ministry to You. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name for each and every one of them. You know what these needs are. You know what the situations and circumstances are better than even they do. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that You would arise in these situations, that You would show Yourself strong. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that You would meet each and every one of these needs by the power and by the authority of Almighty God. I pray, Lord, that You would arise and that Your enemies would be scattered. I pray, Jesus, that You would demonstrate once more that God still intervenes in the affairs of men. I pray, God, that You would show Yourself strong in the behalf of these circumstances, these people, these situations today, and for our service here this morning, that You would move mightily and wondrously and gloriously. I pray, Lord, that You would arise in this place, that Your enemies would be scattered here, I pray, God, that You would have dominion here, that You would assume all power, all authority in this place, that You would be sovereign in this place today. Hallelujah, Jesus. This is Your service. We are Your people. That You would minister in accordance with Your perfect will, in accordance with our desperate needs today. I pray, God, above all else, that Your name would be glorified here today. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity You've given us. Don't let us waste it. Don't let us esteem it lightly. Don't let us take it for granted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated today. Our youth can be dismissed. By way of review, last week we talked about... Uh, Worry, fear, stress, doubt, anxiety. And that, although there are circumstances, both in our past and in our present, that we have no control over, 
as a Christian, we don't have to worry about them. We don't have to get stressed out about them. So there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> well, maybe we can go a little bit deeper, huh? <clears throat> the reason that we don't have to worry and stress and fear and doubt is because although we cannot control some situations, we know the one who does. We know the one who is altogether sovereign in every circumstance, every situation. And he has all power and he has all authority. He sits on the throne as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. And he has complete control over every circumstance and situation. We don't need to. There's, a, uh, there's kind of a doctrine, if you will, in business sectors. Uh, when you're organizing a business, you want to organize it formally as a S corp, a C corp, something like that. And the reason for that, one of the reasons for that, there are several, but one of the reasons for that is this idea that you want to control everything but own nothing. For that very reason. You ever get sued? I, I ain't got nothing. There's nothing in my name. I have, I have working control of a corporation that's worth multi-millions. I only got 38 cents to my name. So, sue away. There's a similar circumstance spiritually. We don't own anything, and we don't control anything either. But we have free access to the one who does own everything and control everything. So, when we find ourselves in a circumstance that we have no control over, without God, I would stress. Without God, I would be afraid. I would be anxious. But because I know Jesus Christ, I'm not. And I don't have to be. Because He's, he's promised me that He's going to take care of that thing for me. How do I choose to view my past or my present? A change in perspective is sometimes all we need to see things clearly. If anyone has ever taken an airplane ride, flown from one area to another, and you've been up way high, like 50,000, 60,000 feet. Things don't look so big down on earth from that distance. You see little specks, I think they're cars, driving on these thin, hair-like roads. They seem so small and tiny. You're flying in a storm, it's raining, and then you get high enough above the clouds, and it's sunny again. It's always sunny above the clouds. Sometimes a change in perspective is that's all we need. Looking at things a little bit differently. Looking at things from a biblical perspective. From the way that God sees things. The cure for worry and stress then, Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Our only ambition in life should be to draw close to Jesus, to accomplish His will, to advance His kingdom. And when that is our ambition, we have a promise from God that everything else is going to be taken care of. Everything else is going to be provided the child of God. Amen. Our daily devotions. Day one, 
as a biblical Christian, we have reason to be optimistic. Now, folks, if anyone is going to be optimistic in this world, it ought to be the Christian. More than anyone else, we have so many reasons to be optimistic. Even if we're going through something in the, in the present, even if we're facing a difficult situation right now, we're still optimistic because we know, according to the Word of God, this thing is going to work out for my good. I don't know when, but it's going to. And after that, I'm going to receive a blessing. That's what happens every time I encounter a, a bad situation. It turns out to be a good situation for me. I'm blessed because of it. And then after all of these things transpire, everlasting life with Jesus Christ. My treasures in heaven that I'll be able to spend for all eternity. There should be no frowny or frumpy Christian walking around. No reason at all. We have so many reasons to be optimistic. Worry and time are things that we can never get back. Or I'm sorry, words and time are things that we can never get back. Once spent, they're irretrievable. That being the case, spend both very wisely. The Bible says to walk circumspectly, redeem the time, for the days are evil. Spend both wisely. We have 168 hours a week like everyone else does. How we spend them is up to us. Choose wisely. Day two, worry and anxiousness rob us of our precious time because they are a complete waste of it. Matthew 6.27 says, Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? In other words, what can you change by worrying about it? What can you change by getting stressed out about it? It doesn't do any good at all. It makes some people feel like I'm taking this situation seriously. Because I'm worried about it. I'm stressed about it. You can, you can see I'm taking it seriously. Uh, you, don't need to, you don't need to do that to take it seriously. We can take it seriously by taking it to God. Amen. I think that's taking it more seriously. Rather than spending our time worrying and stressing about something, why don't we choose to spend that time drawing close to Jesus and learning to trust Him implicitly in every circumstance? Amen. Day three. More money does not equal more happiness. Most likely it leads to the exact opposite. Most of us have lived long enough we understand that. My wife and I have lived long enough to see that riches really do take wings and fly away. That's literally the case. True wealth, though, is knowing Jesus and being a part of His kingdom. Serving Him. Advancing His will. His kingdom in this economy. And when we do that, God bestows upon us true riches. True wealth. Those things that you cannot buy with money. Joy. Peace. Love. Amen. Those things that you cannot buy, you cannot find in this world, we can only get them from the only one that has them. Jesus Christ. We're still going to have troubles in this life, but those troubles are minimized in the Christian's life because Jesus is there with us. Sometimes carrying us through, but He's there with us. He walks through them with us. We ought not worry about problems God has already solved. If we take them to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a solution. He's promised us that. It may not have manifested in our life right here and right now, but it's coming. Rest assured, it's coming. If you've given that to Jesus Christ, the answer is coming. The solution is on its way. 
I just have to endure to the end. Day four, when we recognize Jesus for who he... I'm going to read this verbatim as it was in the devotion because I think it's really good. When we recognize Jesus for who he truly is, it changes everything. He becomes the father we may have never had. He becomes the gentle friend we are longing for. He turns out to be the one who is familiar with our grief and suffering because he has faced it too. He shows himself as the strong, capable provider we are seeking. He is everything we need. And we can experience that closeness with him. In a previous lesson, we talked about the fact that uh, if someone has been through what I'm going through, that's a more effective minister for me. Because, I mean, I can, I can deal with, with some things, but I haven't experienced everything. I haven't gone through everything that everyone has gone through. But Jesus has. Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He has endured every single circumstance and situation when He was on the cross of Calvary. He experienced all of it. And yet without sin. The more we know Jesus, the more we want to know Him. To know Him is to love Him. Amen. Day 5, an exhortation to trust in God even when He tells us no. If the answer is no, then that's the best thing for us right now. No is always hard to accept. No is always hard to hear. Because we know it's best. Or we think we do. And even when we're, we're cognizant of that fact, that I don't always know what's best for me. When I get something stuck in my craw, it's really hard for me not to see that that's the best thing for me right now. I really think that that's the right way to go. But sometimes Jesus will tell me, no, it's not. Sometimes He'll tell you, no, it's not. Or He'll tell you, yeah, but let's hold off on that. I want to go now. Let's hold off on that. Sometimes He'll give you a reason. Sometimes He won't. And that's God's business. Our business is to trust Him. Our business is to submit ourselves to Him because He does have the Lordship over us. He is the Lord and Savior of our lives. He is the one that gets to tell me no. He is the one that gets to tell me now it's okay. Now it's time. All right. Our lesson today, our Scripture text is going to be found in Matthew chapter 25. We'll start reading at verse 14. This is the parable of the talents, and we're going to be talking about the priority of obedience. The priority of obedience. Matthew 25, starting with verse 14, states this, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more." His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. 
And his Lord said unto him, This guy did four talents. You only did two? No. He said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Same exact response. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Who here has heard the name James Kilgore? Yeah, okay. The late pastor James Kilgore told the story of a Sunday school girl who wanted to have something to give in the offering at church, but she had no money. She was likely one of the children who rode the bus to Life Tabernacle, but something was different about this girl. She was not content just to let the offering plate pass her by. Before she boarded the bus, she found a single bloom from a solitary stem of a flower. That tiny flower would be her offering in Sunday school. Can you imagine the delight she must have felt placing her tiny bloom into the offering plate that morning? There is something satisfying about giving what we have to God even when it seems insignificant to others. She gave with her childlike excitement. A sensitive Sunday school teacher observed her giving that morning and thought, I've got to take this flower to Pastor Kilgore and let him tell, and tell him the story. When he received the tiny bloom and heard the touching story, the Holy Spirit nudged the pastor to share the story in the service that morning. As he was obedient to the prompting of the Spirit, an atmosphere of giving swept across the congregation. Perhaps it was Pastor Kilgore's idea to auction the flower for missions, or possibly a sensitive soul in the congregation offered to purchase the flower, but the church auctioned off that single bloom for tens of thousands of dollars for the cause of global missions. It all happened because a little girl was obedient to her desire to give something in the offering. Because of the obedience of a Sunday school teacher in her prompting to share the story and flower with the pastor, and because of a sensitive pastor who shared the story and raised many thousands of dollars for missions. Like the widow woman who cast in her two mites, which was all she had. The Sunday school girl gave more than everyone gave that day. What a blessing obedience to God is in our own lives and in the lives of others who are touched through our acts of obedience, whatever they might be. And just as an aside, we're going to be going into the fact that sometimes we feel that our gifts and our talents are insignificant, that they're not worth mentioning, they're not worth even bringing up to anyone. Why should I even bring that up? I mean... Brother so-and-so can do all of these things. Sister so-and-so can do all of these things. And I can't do any of that. So I'm just going to sit here and let them, let them go at it. A thousand times no. Your gift and your talent was given for a very specific reason. A very important reason. 
You may not have as many gifts and talents as someone else. We can all acknowledge that. There's always someone out there with more than we, we have. And that includes gifts and talents as well. There's always someone better at something than we are. Always. I mean, that's, that used to hurt knowing that. When I was a kid, when I was a teenager, a young adult, that frustrated me. Surely I can be the best at something. I don't need to be the best at anything anymore. I just need to be the best that Jesus wants me to be. The best that I can be with what God has given me. That's all I need to do. And when I am, God is pleased with that. And God will multiply that and use that. If all you have is a few loaves and fishes, folks, God can multiply that into an abundance of things. A ridiculous little stem of a flower turned into tens of thousands of dollars for global missions. That's incredible. That's what God can do with our obedience. That's what God can do with the little gift and talent that He's given us. Jesus was finishing His Sermon on the Mount. From there, He would go down that mountain and begin walking toward the cross. But at the very close of His Sermon, Matthew chapter 7, He said these words, starting with verse 21 of chapter 7. Not everyone that saith unto Me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of My Father which is in heaven. Many will say to Me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name have cast out devils, and in Thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from Me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of Mine and doeth them, hearing and doing, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. So there is a very definite correlation here between hearing and doing. Every prophet of the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament, every minister today, and we are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we all know what it's like to deliver God's inspired message for a specific occasion to someone and they walk away from it. That they hear it and do nothing with it. To watch some souls reject the message and walk away unchanged. We know what that feels like. It's frustrating. It's saddening. We ask why. It's a privilege to hear the message God sends to us. We've got to understand that. Hearing the Word of God, being able to read the Word of God, that's a privilege that Jesus gives to us. But we are only blessed through our obedience to that message. We can hear it all day long. We can, we can watch preaching tapes and, and, and videos. 
We can hear sermons. We can read the Word of God. We can read books. And all of that's good. And I encourage you to do all of that. But if we're not doing anything with it, if we're hearing the Word of God and not doing it, the Bible says we're deceiving ourselves. We think we're doing the will of God, but we're not. We're stopping short of doing the will of God. Once I've received a message from the Lord, I've got to do something with that. I've got to own that. I've got to take possession of that. I've got to receive it. And then I've got to do something with it. I've got to take action. My faith is not demonstrated by what I say. It's demonstrated by what I do. If I'm not doing something, what does that tell you about me? I don't believe it. I don't really believe what you're saying. Because if I did believe it, I'd be doing something with it. Looking at the life of King Saul, what a train wreck that was. What an absolute disaster his life turned out to be. He started so good. He started so good. He was humble. He didn't want the position. It was forced on him. But it quickly overtook him. King Saul's throne would have been established forever. It would have been established by God for all time if he would have just been obedient to the commandment of God. But instead he continued in his self-will. He did what he wanted to do. He was commanded to utterly destroy the Amalekites. But instead he saved the best of the spoil. What was the reason given? So I can sacrifice it to the Lord my God. That's where we get that famous passage. 1 Samuel 15.22 Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. It doesn't matter what we're doing for God. It doesn't matter what we're accomplishing for God if we're not obeying God. Obedience has to come first. If we're not being obedient to the will of God, then nothing else matters. I'll illustrate that in kind of a silly example. I say kind of because for some it's not. What about the mega monster ultra slam billion dollar lotto? Can't I play the lotto? I'll pay tithes on it. Ooh, you'll pay tithes on it. Man, that's that's a new building right there. Yeah, go ahead. No. I don't care if you pay tithes on it. You're not being obedient to the Word of God. Now, does the Bible say anything specific about gambling? Not really. It does lay down some principles on wealth gaining, though. Proverbs 13.11 says, Wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. In the ESV, it says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. But whosoever gathers little by little will increase it. The Bible seems to indicate all through Scripture when you look at this topic that uh, it's by uh, daily gain. It's by labor. 
Not necessarily manual labor. I also said, thank you, Jesus. But uh, <clears throat> you go get a job. You be prudent and wise with your money. Save it. Invest it. Do what you need to do. But this get-rich-quick stuff, that is, that is not in the plan of God. So, since we're on the topic, no. No lottos. No, no one-armed bandits. No Texas Hold'em. No gambling. That is, that, that is not the will and plan of God. I don't care if you pay tithes on it. Don't do it. Alright. The necessity of obeying God's Word. Saying submission to Jesus is different than doing submission to Jesus. Matthew 7.21 stated, we just read that, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Saith versus doeth. Two hearers of Christ's teachings are likened to two different builders. You cannot claim to be a Christian and refuse to obey God's Word. That's an oxymoron. There are parts of Scripture that we just naturally gravitate to. We really like those Scriptures. And there are other parts of Scripture that we naturally just kind of, consciously or unconsciously, we avoid those. We don't like dealing with those. But the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. All Scripture is profitable to us. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's all the Word of God. And so when we go into the Word of God, when we approach Scripture, we've got to approach it with that idea. That it is the very Word of God. All of it. I have to approach all of it the same way as the very Word of God. Okay. So, understanding that, if the Bible says something hard to me, if the preacher says something hard to me, if God says something hard to me in prayer or in reading His Word, I'll just... Move that aside for later. I'm doing all of this right now. God's pleased with me over here. But He's not pleased with me over here. And He's letting me know He's not pleased because He's talking to me about it. Right? i got to take care of that too. I'm not a Christian if I don't adhere to Scripture. I can't claim to be a follower of Jesus and not do what He says. Calling Him Lord, Lord, but do not the things that He says. That's, that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous claim to make. Ezekiel 33 and 31 says this, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, 
but their heart goeth after their covetousness. The old saying that actions speak louder than words. What we do is what matters, folks, not what we say. A parable was told by Jesus of two sons. Father asked the first son to go work in the field. He said, yeah, I'll do it. I'm sorry, no. He said, no. But then he went and did it. He asked the second son, because the other way wouldn't make sense. He asked the second son, he said, yeah, I'll go. But he never went. And then Jesus said, which of the two did the will of his father? The one that went and did it. Not the one who said it, but the one who did it. He did the will of his father. We can say stuff all day long. We can talk about this, that, and the other, and all the things I'm going to do, and all the things I want to do. You've heard people like this. Maybe, maybe you were like this at one time. I know I was. I was filled with ambitions and hopes and dreams, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to conquer this, and I'm going to do that. And I turned 18, I got into the army, and then was, after I get out of the army, I'm going to do all this stuff. Well, I'm still waiting to do all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, saying versus doing, right? <clears throat> doing is a whole lot more impressive. And it's certainly a whole lot more impressive to Jesus Christ when we do the commandments of the Lord instead of just talk about them. Actions do speak louder than words. We demonstrate our faith through our obedience, right? John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, keep my commandments. I don't know how much plainer he can, he can make it here. He doesn't use a lot of words. He doesn't go very in-depth. I mean, he's just point blank. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you don't love me, then don't. James 1 talks about this topic in depth. We'll read verses 22 through 25 of James chapter 1. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. <coughs> If I can sum that up, if you truly believe something, you're going to act on it. I've used several analogies to, to demonstrate that. Uh, the, the analogy, if I tell everyone, if you're at my house at 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'll have a check written out for you for a million dollars. I'll know if you believe that statement or not by who's there at 4 in the morning. Yeah, okay. Sounds good. But you're not there. You didn't believe me. And rightly so. Because I'm not going to be there at 4 a.m. with a check for a million dollars. <laughs> so, uh, good call on that. The guy that, uh, the guy that was, 
He stretched the line across Niagara Falls, and he was doing all this crazy stuff back and forth. Then he got a, a wheelbarrow and started doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And the guy's like, do you believe I can do a unicycle while uh, rolling this wheelbarrow across? Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we believe. And he pointed to the loudest one and said, okay, jump in. Did he really believe it? Not enough to act on it anyway. If he really believed it, he'd be okay jumping in. Okay, the parable of the talents. Our scripture text. A man went on a long journey and so distributed talents to three of his servants. Now these talents, these were a big deal. These were a lot of money. It's generally considered to be worth about 20 years worth of wages for the working man. One talent. A lot of money. He distributed his money to his servants based on their several ability. He gave one five talents. Based on his ability, he gave another two talents. Based on his ability, and a third he gave one talent. Based on his ability. The man anticipated that they would put the money to work and grow his wealth in his absence. Again, according to their ability. The two servants who were diligent and earned for their master were rewarded. The one servant who was afraid and hid his talent was condemned as a wicked and slothful servant, and he ended up losing everything. Now, there are a lot of things we could say about this. It's not fair that he gave the one five and someone else one. We could go that route. Was that unfair? It said according to their ability, right? I tell you what, folks, I've seen, I've seen when people attain to a, a, a position or a, a level of authority that they're not ready for. They don't have the ability to do that yet. Maybe they would at some point, but they don't know. I see what happens to those people. They are destroyed by it. They make a train wreck out of it. So I don't want God to give me five talents when I only have the ability to handle one. I don't want that because it will ruin me. I've seen it happen. Some of you have seen it happen. That's not a good place to be in. If I got one if I have the ability for one talent, folks, that's all I want. I'm going to I'm going to do my best with that one talent. The Bible says later that when I sow myself faithful in that one talent, He'll give me more. He'll give me other talents and abilities. And when I'm faithful in them, He'll give me yet more. Eventually, maybe I will attain to that five-talent level. But I've got to be faithful in the one first. Oh, this is stupid. Why can't I just do that? This is a dumb talent. No one needs this. Why can't I do? Why can't I be a, nice, a great singer? Why can't I be a big name preacher? Why can't I be at the UN, hobnobbing with all the world leaders? I don't want that. I don't want to do that. 
I suppose I would if I was commanded to, but He hasn't commanded me to. And I'm fine with that. This is good right here. Whatever God has chosen for you, folks, that's perfect for you. That is the perfect gift for you. He's given it to you with love and with with purpose and with with hope that you're going to go out and do great things with that. And when you do, when you're faithful in that, He's going to give you more. When I started a job, when you started a job, where do you start? Entry level, right? Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. I'm 55 years old. I've earned, I've earned my place here. Well, you haven't earned your place here. You just started here, dude. <laughs> you start where everybody else starts. And then when you show yourself faithful, you show up to work, you do your job, you do it well, you take on extra responsibility where you can, you, you stay late, you get there a little early, then you get promoted. You advance. You show yourself worthy of that position, that you can handle it. But I've got to be faithful in the little things first. That's just how it works, folks. It's no different in the kingdom of God. Wherever God starts you at, that's a starting position. I can't come off the street, get the Holy Ghost, and pastor a thousand-person church. Are you insane? You'd have to be insane. That's right. That's crazy talk. You want someone in another season who's demonstrated faithfulness over a period of years, who's come out of some situations. You don't want a novice in positions of authority. And when I was a new convert coming off the street, (laughs) dressing like I was dressing, you didn't want me anywhere near that pulpit, even to give a testimony. But over a period of years, and in your lives, over a period of years, God has added to you because of your faithfulness. He's added gifts and talents and abilities. Because you've demonstrated faithfulness in the small things. And notice that he said, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He didn't say good and productive servant. He didn't say good and busy servant. Good and profitable servant. Good and faithful servant. That is all that is required of us. The Lord does not measure the outcome of our lives based on production, but on obedience. The production value of our efforts is entirely in God's hands. It's entirely up to God. He giveth the increase. Paul planted, Apollos watered, God giveth the increase. He was just as pleased with the servant who produced four talents as he was with the servant who produced two. And I, I think it's safe to speculate that if the guy with one talent produced one talent, he would have been just as pleased with that. 
The servant with one talent was not condemned for his lack of production, but for his lack of effort, his lack of obedience. He was not obedient to the will of his master. I want you to take this and produce with it. Do something with it. If he'd have tried, folks, if he'd have done all that his ability would allow him to do and produce nothing, he would have been fine with that. God doesn't expect more of us than we can do. He expects as much of us, as much out of us as we can do. Whatever ability He's given us, He expects that much out of us. He doesn't expect any more than that. Our Lord desires and requires faithfulness. We can leave the results to God. We don't have to worry about the results All we have to worry about is being obedient to the commandments of the Lord. To be faithful in what He has given us to do. That's it. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now some people worry and fret and stew because they feel their giftings do not match the abilities of others. And this is fairly common. That guy, he just looks so amazing and he can sing so good and he can play the piano and and he can preach and and he can teach Bible. He can do all of these things. And I struggled talking with people. How am I supposed to contribute anything when we got guys like that around? You feel inferior. You feel like you're not really going to matter a whole lot. On the other end of the spectrum, others will excuse themselves from doing anything because they can't do what others can do. So since I can't do everything, I'll just do nothing. And if you're a perfectionist, you kind of understand feeling like that. If I can't do everything and do it well, I'm just not going to do anything at all. That's the wrong attitude as well. God hasn't given you everything to do. He's given you one thing to do. Or two things to do. Whatever whatever abilities and talents He's given you. That's what He's given you to do. He's given other people other things. Let them worry about that. And let God worry about the overarching scheme of things. Okay, God's given me this. I know that. So all I have to do is be faithful in that. Do everything I can to to build and strengthen that talent and to use that. Find opportunities to use that talent. If you can't find opportunities to use that talent, talk to one of the church leaders. Talk to me. Find, Find an excuse to use it. Find a reason to use it. I promise you, we'll help you do it. I promise you that. If you want to use that talent, we're going to find a way to use it. We'll create something out of thin air for you to use it, if that's what's necessary. But we've got to get our people using our talents. If you're not, as, as people of God, as Christians, we cannot sit on the talents that God has given us. We cannot bury them in the sand. Because as we read earlier, for calling Him Lord, He gets to tell us what to do. Okay. 
I've given you this talent. That's what I want you to do. So do it. If I don't do it, He's not my Lord. If I don't do that, am I really a Christian? Am I following Jesus? I may say I'm following Jesus, but my actions don't demonstrate that. And this isn't hard, folks. This is very simple. This is very easy. If we are pursuing God with all of our hearts, if we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, this isn't hard at all. This is very easy for us to do. We want to do this. Now, if you don't want to do this, well, that's another situation. I would encourage you to draw closer to God. I would encourage you to ask Him to put something else inside of you. A desire to do this. A desire to serve and please God with that area of your life. If we love God, we will keep His commandments. That follows by default. I don't force myself to keep the commandments to demonstrate I love God. Because I love God, I naturally keep His commandments. You see the difference there? You love God first. Again, God requires us to be faithful to our gifts and to our calling. The results are in God's hands. Okay. Although we, have, we all have God-given gifts and talents, we are not to rely on those alone. They don't stand alone all by themselves. And this is kind of the opposite end with someone that has multiple giftings and talents. Someone who is just so... You could probably name one or two people off the top of your head. People that have so much natural talent, so many gifts. But we can't rely on those alone. His desire in giving those talents is that we submit those uh, human faculties and abilities to Him. And we allow Him to use them to advance His kingdom according to His will. We've got to submit those to His will. First, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, 9-11 says this, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities, in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I am become a fool in glorying, ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. So this, in this case, we have an instance of someone who is very gifted, naturally. The Apostle Paul was a very gifted, very talented individual, very intelligent. He studied at the feet of the, the greatest person, uh, the greatest Jewish rabbi uh, of that time, Gamaliel. And he was his star student, his star pupil. He graduated with honors, and he went on, and he was going to do great things for, for Judaism. Judaism. <clears throat> Until that road to Damascus. And then God turned all that zeal and all that passion and all that talent around. And in this instance right here, we're seeing that Paul had to learn something. Paul couldn't rely on his talents and his gifts. 
He had to rely on the strength of Jesus Christ. And he was very willing to do that because he discovered something. That when I submit myself, I submit those talents that he's given me to God so that God can use them according to his will, so that God can direct me in their use, so that he can anoint them in their use. When I do that, I am so much more effective. Then I have loosed God into the situation. I have loosed God into the, to whatever it is that I'm doing for Him. He empowers that. Now it's through the power of God that I'm working. If I have to rely on just me, I mean, talent, I don't care how much talent you have, it only goes so far. The tasks that Jesus Christ gives us to do are a lot bigger than any person's talents. They're a lot larger than anyone's gifts. The things that Jesus gives us to do, only He can do. But He desires to do that through you and through me. He desires to do that. But if I'm relying on me, if I'm trying to do this myself, it's going to fail. I've got to rely on God. I've got to submit even those things to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and let Him use me in those areas. And when I do that, I am effective. When I am weak, then am I strong. We've got to rely on God and not ourselves. We should focus on obeying the Word of God no matter what that may entail. When we encounter those hard Scriptures, those things that we're struggling to agree with, we hear someone preach something that that's really that's what that's what has to happen. We've got to focus on obeying the word of God no matter what that may entail. No matter how hard it may seem. No matter how much I don't want to. No matter how many reasons I can come up with why it ought not happen. And I can come up with some good ones. And so can you. If you give us just a little bit of time, I can come up with a few really good reasons why I don't have to do what God told me to do. Am I going to listen to the Word of God? Or am I going to listen to my reasoning? Who has authority in my life? I've determined that God has the authority in my life, and so I am going to let Him overrule my reasonings. I'm going to let Him overrule what I think I see or perceive or feel at the moment. And I'm going to obey Him. Rather than worrying and fretting over perceived inabilities, we should rely completely on God's strength and provision. Well, I can't do that. There's no way that I could do that. Right. But God through you can do that very easily. When you are weak and you rely on God's strength, then you are truly strong. God wants to bless the gifts and abilities He's given to us, but He'll bless only those things we put in His hands. If I keep them all to myself... 
He's not going to bless that when I give those talents to Him and use them for His glory. He will bless them. In the parable of the talents, we find that God blesses the obedient use of our gifts with more responsibility and consequently more authority. Because responsibility and authority go hand in hand. (coughs) If we desire more giftings and abilities to use for the glory of God, we first must be faithful in the few that He has given us to start. Show yourself faithful in that. Demonstrate faithfulness in that. And then God will add to that severally as He will. Don't bury your talent because you think it's small or insignificant. It is not. If it was insignificant, He wouldn't have given it to you in the first place. Okay? That's the truth of it. If it truly were insignificant, irrelevant, He wouldn't have given it to anyone in the first place. We don't need it here. If He's given it, then we need it. So use it, please, for the glory of God. He doesn't compare you with someone or anyone else. He compares what you've done with what He initially put in your hands. Have I given you four talents? Then I expect four talents. Faithfulness. One talent? I want you faithful in the one talent. He doesn't expect you to be faithful in four talents if He's only given you one. That doesn't make any sense. You're not responsible for the talents that uh, He's given someone else. You're only responsible for the talents He's given you. That's all He's going to be looking at. He doesn't compare you with anyone else. He looks at you with love and with compassion and with grace and says, this is for you. I want you to use this for me. Man, that's awesome. Absolutely. It's my special gift from Jesus. That's what Jesus gave me. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it with all my strength. I'm going to give glory to God with it and see what He'll do. In conclusion, in his book, A Call to Excellence, Gary Inring tells the story of Bertoldo de Giovanni whom he says, quote, is a name even the most enthusiastic lover of art is unlikely to recognize, unquote. In his time, he was an important sculptor, but none of his work has lasted. His chief claim to fame is as a historical connector. He was the pupil of Donatello, the greatest sculptor of his time, and he was also the teacher of Michelangelo, the greatest sculptor of all time. Michelangelo was only 14 years old when he came to Bertoldo, But it was already obvious that he was enormously gifted. Bertoldo was wise enough to realize that gifted people are often tempted to coast rather than to grow, and therefore he kept trying to pressure his young prodigy to work seriously at his art. One day he came into the studio to find Michelangelo toying with a piece of sculpture far beneath beneath his abilities. Bertoldo grabbed a hammer, stamped across the room, and smashed the work into tiny pieces, shouting his unforgettable message, Michelangelo! Talent is cheap. Dedication is costly. The gifts and talents God bestows on us are only a blessing to us and to others when we devote their use to the Lord and His kingdom. If we assume they're too meager or insignificant to bless anyone or bless the kingdom of God, they're going to remain dormant, unused, and small. When we obey God and entrust their usefulness to His hand, 
These gifts and talents become significant and helpful in His kingdom. If we bury them like the servant with one solitary talent, we'll stand before God in shame and judgment. But if we put them to use in obedience to our Lord, we will become increasingly effective within His kingdom, and He will increase our usefulness and kingdom responsibilities. Just remember that small little petal of a flower. Insignificant. What was that going to do for the kingdom of God? We're giving to support the work of God, right? What's a flower? What, what is that going to do? Nothing. Until you give it to God. And then God can do something with it. If God can do something with, with something as insignificant as a stub of a flower, what can He do with the talent that He gave you? Imagine the possibilities of what He can do through you if we'll just give that to God and let Him use that for His glory and for His purposes. Amen. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that You give us gifts and talents according to our ability. That You're not going to give us more than we can handle. You're not going to give us less than we can handle either. I pray in Jesus' name that those talents and, and gifts and callings, whatever You've given the people of God, that we would be faithful in their use. That we would discover what they are, first of all. And then once discovered, we would take possession of them. That we would own these talents. That we would be thankful for them. The gift of God. Thank You, Jesus, that You desire to use us in these varying abilities, these varying uh, capacities. And I pray in Jesus' name that as they step out in faith and begin to use those talents, that You would bless and that You would minister and that You would multiply blessing unto them and to those around them. I pray that You would bless the remainder of our service. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.